brace yourself because you're about to dive into another free first hour episode of the Higher Side Chats. And we just want to let you know that whether you're looking for a companion through your paranoid insomnia, entertaining yourself through one of life's mundane activities, or trying to ward off the internal screams of all those sad, smothered souls around the office, THC is here. And you should know that every episode of the Higher Side Chats has an entire second hour for Plus members. Sign up at thehiresidechatsplus.com and you'll get years of Plus show archives, lifetime forum access, a special invite to Greg Carlwood's monthly joint sessions, MP3s of THC music, bonus episodes, tour videos, and 10% off t-shirts, grinders, and whatever else ends up in the Higher Side store. It's $8 a month that you won't miss. So become a Plus member and treat yourself in these troubled times. Always action-packed and commercial-free, which means you'll unfortunately never hear my voice again. In the 1930s, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt addressed the nation through a series of radio broadcasts known as the Fireside Chats. His aim was to reassure the common man that our society would recover from its troubled times. Well, we're far from 1930, and I deal with a different kind of fire. For a new era of worldly frustration, we offer a fresh conversation. I'm Greg Carlwood, and these are the Higher Side Chats. All right, Higher Side Chatters, charting another course along the vast conspiracy from sunny San Diego, I'm Greg Carlwood. And over the lifetime of THC, we have covered some of the most epic and out-there subjects I can imagine. Aliens, fairies, demons, secret societies, holographic moons, lost civilizations, ancient chambers and ruins, giant mound builders, occult rituals, secret technology, and the conspiratorial kitchen sink. But one topic that has been lodged in the back of my mind since we first talked about it in 2013 is that of the mysterious holographic Hall of Records of Advanced Technology in an ancient underground facility deep below the Romanian Sphinx. Branching off of this supposed place are several long and deep tunnels leading to similar facilities in Iraq, Mongolia, Tibet, and the Giza Plateau, as well as civilizations deep within the inner earth. The information about all of this comes from a Romanian man named Radu Sinemar, who claims to be part of an X-Files-like investigative department of the Romanian government. His story of the hidden chamber and his other investigations into esoteric artifacts on top of his privileged insights from Tibetan lamas and government insiders would all be quarantined to the Romanian language if it wasn't for today's returning guest, Peter Moon, who just happens to share a Romanian publisher with Radu and was asked to translate his books into English. When we last spoke in 2013, the books numbered four, but after six long years, the fifth book has finally hit the American shelves, entitled Inside the Earth, The Second Tunnel. If you don't know, Peter is also the owner and the operator of Sky Books, and he's the publisher of a lot of fascinating things, but he's probably best known as the co-author of three books on the Montauk Project with the original whistleblower, Preston Nichols. You can find his books at skybooksusa.com, and he also runs the website for the Time Travel Education Center, found at timetraveleducationcenter.com. Luckily, he was willing to join us again to highlight Radu's findings from the Inner Earth Tunnel Expedition, and also from his own personal experiences exploring strange places and caves. So brace yourself, people, because we're turning the dial up to 11 with this one. Here he is, the powerhouse publisher, the Inner Earth Insider, and the translator of Romanian tales, Peter Moon, after six long years. Welcome back, man. 
Oh, can you hear me? I'm not hearing you. I had you on mute. Excuse me. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> so I bet I wouldn't be making any noises. Thank you. It's nice to be back with you. Yes, man. This is going to be pretty amazing. The stories in this book are about as epic as they can get. And the inner earth is right up my alley. But we can't expect people to have an interview we did in 2013 fresh in their minds. So maybe you can give us a bit of a refresher on who Radu Sinemar is and the work he's done up to the point of this fifth book, if you'd be so kind. Certainly, I will summarily abbreviate it all <laughs> concisely into uh, a few minutes. My book, The Montauk Project Experiments in Time that I did with Preston Nichols, was translated into the Romanian language, was personally arranged by a man named Sarin Hormuz, and he was working as an editor for a Romanian publishing house, and his boss said, I want you to look at this and see if we should publish it. He read it, he says, yes, you should definitely publish it, but the owner didn't want to publish it, so he went out and started his own publishing house based upon the Montauk Project, and it's been a very successful publishing house for him. And once that book got circulated into Romanian, it was noticed by a member of the secret intelligence department, Department Zero, Radu Sinemar, who saw it and wrote to him. And he says, I have a manuscript you might want to publish. And sure enough, he sent it to him. He decided to publish it. They had it translated into English. They sent it to me and it sat on my desk for four years until I finally read it. And at the same time, after I negotiated to do it, I was asked to come to Romania by a time travel scientist named Dr. David Anderson, who had known me for several years. And he said, you know, I will invite you to come here. I will pay for you and another person to come, etc. It's all expenses paid. So that's how I got to Romania. And I got to meet Serene Hormuz. And I also got to receive a private CD from Radu. And basically, the story that he had to tell was about a chamber that was found beneath the Romanian Sphinx. The Romanian Sphinx is in an area called the Bucej Mountains, which is a couple hours north of Bucharest, the biggest city of about 3 million people in Romania. And it's a very beautiful area. I was able to go there on that first visit. And the Sphinx looks like, from a certain angle, it looks like a carved head. There's debates about whether it was done intentionally or it's there by happenstance. That edifice is supposed to be about 50,000 years old. Now, underneath that, in, in another stone figure or stone, what do you call these things? It's not a monument, but it's a, there's a name for it. I can't remember. It's called Babylon, which means old woman. It's these big stones coming out of the ground that mm. look like what are called bollards on a ocean liner, these big things you wrap the housers or lines around, huge. And between these two areas and several thousand feet beneath the ground is this chamber that was discovered through ground penetrating radar from satellites, which I connected to Dr. David Anderson because his technology is used to keep, to stabilize satellites in space. That led him to discover time travel hmm. through the principles of rotation and electromagnetics, and a host of other factors that relate to slowing time down or speeding it up. But in any case, that's how I got to Romania. And this chamber 
beneath the Sphinx that I have not been to, that Radu Cinemar has been to. It is full of wonders. Transylvanian Sunrise is the name of the first book in the series. Talks all about how the drama, the political intrigue and drama it took to get access this place because they needed American technology. And the whole story is about secret liaisons that took place through backdoor liaisons that were actually facilitated by Italian Freemasonry, who are not held up in the book to be anything good at all. (laughs) But it was the Masonic connections through the Pentagon that enabled American technology to breach this barrier. And finally, the final barrier was done by a man who became the head of Department Zero, Cesar Brad, or Cesar Brad, as we would say in, in English. And his handprint was needed to open it. There was a handprint there. It was like a biorecognition device, as if he was being recognized from the future, or they knew he would be the one to open the invisible barrier to get into the the caverns, which would then lead to the holographic chamber, whereby you had tables that could read out your DNA if you put your hand over them, and other sections of the table would read out alien DNA from other planets. It would show the planets in holographic form. It would show the life forms. And if you put your hand over two simultaneously sections, it would show a hybridization of the two life forms. So this was really incredible. And then inside, there was a projection hall, I guess the deepest place of the chamber, and the projection hall is where you could see a holographic history of the world that would be contoured to your own biophysics. It was bioresonant, so you would see something different than I would. Everybody in the audience would see something that might be substantially different, it might be slightly different. However, within this projection hall were three tunnels that go into the inner earth. And there are now two books, and the third one will be coming. The third book in the series is called Mystery of Egypt, The First Tunnel, which talks about a similar installation beneath the Giza Plateau. And Radu goes through a tunnel with super high American technology. I mean, I say American technology. It's technology that Americans don't even know. We don't even know that we have officially. And one of the testaments to the veracity of this, one of them, we can't certainly substantiate a lot of these things, but was that Romania and NATO became allies right after all of this occurred in NATO. Romania joined NATO for the first time. So there is a lot of ostensible verifications in the second book, Transylvania Moonrise, which the beginning of it lists a lot of Romanian newspaper accounts, which have been translated, corroborating the original story. The third book, which I was mentioning, Mystery of Egypt, The First Tunnel, is about a tunnel that goes to Egypt. The fourth book, The Secret Parchment, is all about ancient Romanian history, not all about, it's about a lot of other things, but it includes ancient Romanian history and a spectacular discovery by a professor, Constantine, in Transylvania of an underground golden tunnel. There's a lot of gold. This is not fiction. This is not made up. There's real huge deposits of gold in Transylvania, which are conducive to super consciousness. But anyway, this professor went down and discovered these thrones of gold. He discovered a portal to another world and all sorts of phantasmagorical phenomena. 
the young man he was with fell into the portal. He came up and told security, and it became one of Romania's top secret issue at that time. That's the secret parchment. And then the fifth book in the series, which we're going to discuss today, is Inside the Earth, the second tunnel. But before we go on to that, I will just mention that there is a new book that I just sent to the printer called Forgotten Genesis. It's about the ancient history of mankind. And I think we'll be discussing that in the second hour. Mm-hmm. And there is a sixth book coming called The Etheric Crystal, The Third Tunnel. And the third tunnel goes to Tibet. The second tunnel goes to inside the earth and civilizations within the earth, as which we'll be discussing here in the first hour. Hmm. Awesome, man. Yes, it is fascinating. I'm definitely super interested in anything inner earth and these tunnels. I don't know about something like a biometric hand scanner. I mean, that sounds a little, you know, that that's a that's a tough pill to swallow. But I mean, hey, the story is what the story is, right? It'll become less hard to swallow in the coming decade. It'll become much less harder to swallow. We're on the cutting edge of technology that will put you into a holographic movie. (laughs) That's true. And one of the first movies to come out might indeed be the Montauk Project Experiments in Time. This technology is now being developed. It comes out of the Defense Department. And I happen to have the serendipitous circumstance to be sought after for this story. So dynamics are in the work. Dynamics are in the work to build a technology, a studio. I mean, it's already started to, so in other words, when you come into a movie, you'll be inside the palace or wherever the movie is. You'll be on the beach looking. You won't necessarily be feeling it, but you'll be seeing it as if you were sitting on the beach or sitting next to Napoleon at Waterloo (laughs) and watching what he does. Very cool. Very cool. Yes. And there is a curious crossroads between the Defense Department and Hollywood. So I'm not surprised that their technology would be used in such a fashion. But this is something you say in your introduction here where you're given the backstory And you mentioned it a moment ago, but you say Masonic interests in the Pentagon funneled this information about the chamber to a leader in Italian Freemasonry, a Signor Massini, who represents a hidden global elite that wanted access to and control of this chamber for themselves. And I am kind of curious if anything has happened regarding this power struggle over the last couple years. I mean, this is uh, an ongoing story, so I'm sure maybe there's Some kind of update on that front. Well, Signor Mazzini is the Freemason, Italian Freemason I alluded to. And the story happens to speak impeccable Romanian. And it's not common for Italians to speak Romanian. They can understand it to a very crude degree. But Romanian is the original language of all the Latin languages, Hmm. even Latin. So for him to be able to speak Romanian was very unique. Basically, he's still involved in the later books, but he was kind of like scorched out of things because he had to get out of town when the American president and the Romanian president 
found out what was going on because this was all being done behind their backs. And when it was discovered, there was a lot of, I guess, what you call upper echelon posturing and negotiation to make some peace. And in the process, he had to get out of there. He could not be politically viewed. He was too occulted and too secret. So he does show up in some of the later books, but his interests are sort of in a different area than these books cover. And he's got, you know, sort of narrow interests and he wants certain artifacts, which they're happy to give him. So he's not really in the mainstream of this. And they have successfully negotiated to sidestep so much of what you would call conspiratorial entry. It's not that it's not there, and it's not that they're not constantly being sought after, but they've deftly managed to avoid it. Right on, right on. Well, very interesting. And talk to us a little bit about Radu's mentors and the wise men he seems to get his information from, because he seems to have some pretty impressive contacts, right? Well, yes, and you're alluding to the man who basically created Department Zero for the Romanian government, Romanian intelligence service. And when I say most of the people in Romania's government do not know of Department Zero unless they've read these books. And even then, these books are generally dismissed as science fiction in Romania. But people highly placed in the government have told me, no, it's real. At least Radu Sinemar does work in intelligence. There are other Freemasons, the Freemasons in Romania, which I visit Romania annually. And I have a Romanian wife as well, which developed. But the Freemasons like to say these books are written by a committee. And my response to them, have you ever read the books? They go, no. They are parroting what they've been told. Mm -hmm. These books are not written by a committee. They are approved and sanctioned by at least a couple of people. And you could call that a committee, but they're not written by a committee because I have enough familiarity with Radu and his writing style and his personality that there is a complete consistency in these books that he is authoring them. And he leaves out a lot of information, he says, for security reasons. But his mentor, or one of his mentors, the person who set up Department Zero was a man from on loan from the Chinese government known as Dr. Xien, X-I-E-N. And Dr. Zen was expert in paranormal. This is during the communist regime, going back to the 70s. And because both countries were communist, they had a cultural exchange program. And communist nations generally were open and friendly to each other. And the Chinese loaned him to the Romanian government to set up their paranormal department. And the Romanians, in return, did an education program for the Chinese. And Romanians are super intelligent people. They're very intelligent. Some of the top technical people in the world are strewn, you know, and this includes Apple, Microsoft. They have Romanians. And this is not generally known because I know one of the professors, they were all his students. So they're very intelligent people. And he explained to me is that while the West 
was busy in like Western France developing French cuisine and French bread and this sort of thing and developing accounting, the Romanians were fighting off hordes of barbarians or whatever you want to call them. So they didn't necessarily develop their frontal lobe to the point where nowadays we're completely divorced from nature. You have families in Transylvania, the same DNA has been farming the land for 5,000, 20,000 years, whatever it goes back to. Mm -hmm. So you have the consistent DNA that is still connected to nature, which you really don't have in the rest of the world to any market extent. This is why Prince Charles has a big home in Transylvania because he's very enamored of that connection to nature. So anyway, Dr. Zen sets up the paranormal department and it turns out this is to deal with what they're called K events, X-Files events, we might say in America. And he indoctrinates this young man, Caesar Brad, from his birth, who he's born with a huge umbilical cord. He's reported by the doctors who give birth, administer to his birth, to the paranormal department. Dr. Zan comes in to check this guy out and basically tutors him and teaches him his psychic or paranormal skills. In the, the second book, Dr. Zen reappears, but he doesn't reappear to Caesar Brad, his student. He appears to Radu, and he appears as a Tibetan Lama. Hmm. And he meets with uh, Radu in a the house of a common friend in Bucharest, and he is indoctrinating or educating him because they're going to go on a journey eventually to Tibet. And he reveals that he is a Tibetan Lama that escaped the siege at Lhasa when the Dalai Lama had to move out of Lhasa and go to Nepal. And he somehow reinvented himself as a doctor in communist China. So he said he has friends around the world, and he's a very mysterious character with a lot of paranormal abilities himself. And he... In this new book, Inside the Earth, gives one of the most insightful diatribes on black holes, as well as the physics of the inner Earth, Yes, which is something that is not, it's one of the most valuable contributions in this book, and perhaps the whole series, as he goes into the scientific description of how there can be an inner Earth, as well as everything's formed from the planets comes from a black hole. This is black hole theory that is not taught in physics because they don't understand it. And it will eventually worm its way into academics. So this is what we're dealing with. Perhaps the most exciting parts of the book though are when he actually goes into the inner earth and has adventures with civilizations and culture <laughs> inside the earth. Yes, yes indeed. And I did want to talk a little bit more about the black hole inside the Earth because, you know, there's a lot of context there. As you say, how planets are formed, and it is really interesting material. It jives with a lot of stuff we've heard from previous guests. Can you give people a little more info on that? Can you elaborate on the composition of a planet or how a planet forms? Well, I will do my best. <laughs> of course... When people think of the Earth, there's a lot of information that it's 
molten lava, and beneath that is this hardcore nickel or this sort of rock substance. It's just a hardcore. Well, all of this, and I'm not going to go into the details here because you can read it in the book. It's something called the Cavendish experiment. All scientific knowledge about the inside of the earth is all based upon the Cavendish experiment, which is a huge assumption. It's all based on assumption. And in this book, they tear apart the assumption and why the assumption is an assumption. And most people have probably never heard of the Cavendish experiment. But he says science as a body politic just sort of, oh, the Cavendish experiment. It's like, yeah, 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 yeah. Right. And it relates to seismic waves and the fact that they don't seem to reverberate or be traceable through the center of the earth, which indicates the possibility of a cavern of some kind or a void. Exactly. And I used to go through this with the speed of light. You can't surpass the speed of light, blah, blah, blah. And I used to hear Preston Nichols, my co-author on the radio, you know, people would call up with their, and you'd have some old you know, worthy old gentleman in his armchair saying, oh, I don't know about Einstein, you can't go faster than the speed of light. And, and Preston, who knew this stuff backwards and forwards, says, he says, you know, you cannot go faster than the speed of light in this reference frame. He says, look at the special theory of relativity, and Einstein talks about reference frames. In other words, people don't understand Einstein. It's not that he said this. People say that he said this. And when I first went to Romania on my first trip, my second trip, actually, and David Anderson was lecturing on time travel technology, time travel theory, he said something to me that he would spend time to show me something on a concept. And I, I said something about reference frames. He says, oh, if you understand reference frames, you're going to understand this. He knew all about reference frames. And he was impressed that I knew something about them, just and that's from my previous association with Preston. That opened the whole door to what has become the Time Travel Education Center, which I strongly encourage people to visit, www.timetraveleducationcenter.com, where you can see seven free videos explaining the basic math and physics of why time travel is possible and how it is possible. It's at an eighth grade level although it might take a few run-throughs because <laughs> it causes you to think in different ways than you're used to. Yes, and uh, yeah, and, and people definitely should do that. There's a lot of fascinating stuff there. Some of the context I wanted them to hear about how planets form is that planets, according to Radu's mentor, form as a black hole vortex, and then subtle water from the etheric plane is condensed into liquid water on the material plane, and of course, that forms around the planet. And what I find really interesting about this, and it was one of my contacts that works with a guy named Nassim Haramine and the hollow fractal community, a guy named Ross, he brought this up to me not long ago, this fact that your new book was out. And 
as epic as it sounds, it's a pretty spot on match for the work they do. This idea that what we call electrons are really mini black holes or singularities, whatever term you want to use. It's these points of vortex light that entangle our material reality with the ether and the fractal nature of reality scales up to planets, you know, from electrons to planets. And that's exactly what they suspect or conclude is that the inside of the earth is an inner sun or an inner singularity or an inner black hole. Again, whichever term you want to use. But this being such a match just added another layer of intrigue for me and probably a good portion of the listeners too, because Nassim's got a lot of fans out there. Well, yeah, and really what it comes down to, I mean, this is really an existential examination of the inner of the inner world right and you're moving into see we think of consciousness as a bunch of human beings as chess pieces running around on a, a board that we call planet earth and they're getting smarter or they're killing themselves or whatever they're doing but when you read this book you get the idea that consciousness is emanates from the black hole itself. This is the consciousness. And what you have in human beings is a result of fragmentation, fractalization mm -hmm. from what might be termed a stellar mind or a black stellar, like a black star, black hole mind that is all sort of the effect of what has emanated from the primal cause. And then they saw these human beings like they'd been splattered against the wall. And then now they're forming and coming back and they're having consciousness, but it's all split consciousness. It's all a bunch of people going back to the source, trying to get back home, mm -hmm. so to speak, if you want to look at it that way. So the consciousness is in the earth. He talks on a bigger viewpoint of the planets have a consciousness. Right. You know, Gaia. And it was would apply to the planets Venus and Mars. There is a Venus version of Gaia on Venus and a Martian version of Gaia on Mars. And the whole solar system would have one as well with the galaxy itself. And the core of the galaxy is a black hole. Indeed. And you mentioned the black star. And of course, the black sun is also one of your previous books. And it's also a potent occult archetype that we saw with Nazi occultism and some other places. And People speculate as to exactly where this concept got started, but this is supposedly a reference to the inner black hole. We know the Nazi party or the German occultists were very interested in the inner earth and Tibet, and then they have this black sun symbolism. It kind of fits. Well, yes, and of course, the Germans discovered the black sun, which is a, really another name for a black hole with specific reference to the black hole in the center of the galaxy as equally could apply to the inner earth. But this was discovered, and I, I'm trying to find his name. He's got a very long Indian name. I'm not gonna turn it up fast here. Hmm. But this Indian man mathematically established that a black hole exists. And he presented this to Sir Arthur Eddington, Sir Arthur Eddington is a very pivotal character in the history of physics because he was the one who 
conducted the observations which established that Einstein's general theory of relativity was certainly true by a region of watching eclipses and whatnot. He was the only one who understood it. He was a brilliant mind in one respect, but when he read the papers of this East Indian gentleman, he referred to him as a yellow nigger. Whoa now. And he rejected Yikes. He rejected it. And so the Nazis were able to take it, appreciate it, and they had a computer that was far ahead of the American computer. There's a name for it I can't reproduce right now. I've written about it in my newsletters. Huh. But the Nazis figured out the whole concept of black holes. And they took this man's research and ran with it. So that's a whole other substory that has nothing to do with this book. But the whole subject of black holes is indeed something that regular academics is, you know, scratching their heads at. I mean, I've, whenever I have occasion to watch some TV show, whether it be on PBS or the History Channel or some science channel, it's like I can see where they're, they have holes. Mm -hmm. They just don't know what they're talking about. So they make it grand and mysterious and you know, we're at the horizons of knowledge. So this book undercuts this and it educates people on a level they're not going to quite get educated on in universities. Indeed. At this time, it will leak into the universities only because inevitably they will see the logic and the sense of it. Yes. And they will run with it further. Yes. And it's true. We have to constantly deconstruct the official paradigm and find all the errors in it and, and, try to reverse that damage. But something that really resonated with me in this book is some of the diagrams and sketches that Radu produces where he tries to explain how this inner earth works. Most people who get even a little bit into the inner earth or hollow earth stuff quickly stumble upon this fact that there's supposed to be big holes at the North and South Pole that a ship can travel into. How one would do this is always a bit hard to visualize, but he breaks it down with pretty impressive detail. And just to quote that section, he says, It's easier to get there if there is a shared resonance between the frequency of the etheric plane and the individual's frequency. It also depends upon the speed of the boat as it intersects with the magnetic and gravitational lines. If it fluctuates, you will miss entering the precise point where the magnetic lines of the poles are aligned with the gravitational field. The important thing is that the boat's speed must remain constant. You cannot get in near the equator because the magnetic field lines are perpendicular to the gravitational field, and their influence does not produce this effect. Instead, biological diversity is encouraged at such a locale, and that's true. But at the edges of this magnetic cone in the Arctic, the magnetic field and the gravitational lines align and you can pass through. And then he's got these diagrams of how it works. And to me, if we think of everything as frequency and you have these intersecting vortices, I don't know. I could see it. I could see it, Peter. But he's done a great service to the entire subject of inside the earth. The U.S. Congress in the 1700s 
or the early 1800s, don't remember which, I think it was the early 1800s, funded a mission to explore the inner earth. They came up, I believe, with nothing. But I would also tell you that would be the official version. Of course, of course. So it's been taken very seriously. And there's always an aspect of governments that don't tell you everything that's going on. So the whole key in all of this is, and he writes a lot about vibrational frequency. Like there's an inner world that's vibrating at a different frequency than we are. It's not much different than turning on a TV and going from one channel to the next, where you know, you're getting a different frequency from channel five to channel six or whatever. Right. So it's like you've got to tune in, and this is what consciousness is all about. And as he goes to explore these realms, because he actually can go from one dimension to another, but it's most often done with the help of some sort of technology that is very exotic and generally crystalline in nature. And it takes a while for your body to assimilate, much like as if you were going underwater. You go deep underwater and you've got to come up slowly so you don't get the bends. It's an acclimation and getting used to a different type of consciousness and a different type of vibrational frequency. And it kind of makes sense, too, because if the inner Earth has this singularity in it, and that is peak entanglement, and then you kind of layer out from that, and it's almost as if the thick crust of the Earth is a barrier between this complete entanglement and this physical, dense, material reality on the surface that we feel. So you could understand how when you go deeper through these layers, the etheric maybe gets a little more real and things maybe get a little bit more air-centered instead of earth-centered if we want to talk elementally. But it is fascinating. And maybe we can get a little deeper. I can't believe it's already a half hour into this thing, but you know, maybe we can get deeper, no pun intended, into the story of the second tunnel. I mean, Radu is told there are several layers to the inner earth. He's actually taken to a couple of cities beneath the surface, but he's not taken straight to the center of the earth. That's kind of off limits. And as you say, maybe he'd have the extreme bends to go down and come back like that. But it seems like the physics get pretty strange down there. And he's first taken to a city not too far down in a cavity in the Earth's crust. And this makes sense to me. The Moho layer of the Earth is pretty well known, and it's 22 miles down. It's a big honeycomb, sponge-like layer full of open space. We've already found underground oceans and forests that are not even controversial. So civilizations in the Earth's crust are not a stretch for me. But can you tell us a little bit about this first city of Tomasis? I think it's how it's pronounced, that he was taken to? Tomasis, and I have a surprise to share with you about that in a second, but might not be as important as the story, except that I was in that area this last summer, not in the city itself. But Tomasis is underground, and it's a real underground. The second underground city he goes to, Apelos, is a whole shift in vibrational frequency. This is a real 
physical inner earth city. In other words, he's not switching dimensions. And there is a whole ecosystem bioculture down there, which is different with lights, sort of a sun emanation coming out that's actually putting heat out into the area that is not our sun above, but it puts heat. The light is not as strong. But the real, I think, key thing to grasp here is that life, biodiversity, is far more biodiverse than we might imagine. Mm -hmm. In other words, if you go down to the depths of the ocean, you see that the fish down there don't look like fish. They often like have neon lights and they're they're almost like strings you might hang on a Christmas tree. Right. When you get into this area, life has found a way to survive in a way that is different. So this is a key thing to grasp. But what I was going to say, this area, Tomasis, is underneath an ancient city, Romanian city historically called Tomas, T-O-M-I-S, which is in southeastern Romania, not far from the Black Sea, nor the border of Bulgaria. On my trip this year, I wanted to explore this area, and I combined it with a personal desire I had to visit a lady in the city of Constanza on the Black Sea who had made these wonderful cakes without sugar. And her niece had given them to me, and I said, these are fantastic. I want to meet your aunt. <laughs> so two years later, I go with her and her husband. Her husband was my escort on my entire trip in Romania this year. He's a good friend of mine. So we went to the house, and then after we had lunch with the aunt, I got to meet the aunt at a wonderful Romanian lunch. And we went looking for this cave. There was a cave I saw on the internet. And we went to the cave, found it with some difficulty. It's like right out there in the open, but you can't see it if you don't know where it is. Because you can't see it from the road. It's like a 100-meter walk or something like that to get there. And we went in the cave. And this cave, it's a labyrinth. And you're really not supposed to go in it. We went into it about 50 feet, 100 feet. And we meditated. But it goes on and on and on and on and on. You could get lost in there. And this is supposed to lead to the actual city if you knew how to get there. Mm. And we later met a shepherd on the way out who told us that he'd never been in there, but his father had been in there. And, you know, if you go past a certain point, there's big rooms where you could drive a whole ox cart in. So this was an extensive this is another, I guess, what you call validation. There are a lot of caves in this area and throughout Romania. Many of them are shut off, you know, for people's protection and whatnot. Sure, sure. So this is one city he goes to, which is kind of a warm-up to go to a deeper city with Apelos, which is actually changing his vibrational frequency and going into deeper adventures still and having deeper impressions on his consciousness ultimately leading to a point 
I mean, he has several excursions through different places. One of the ones that fascinated me the most was Yosemite. Yeah. He was called to Yosemite with his mentor, Cesar Brad, because the Americans, uh, it was on an Indian reservation that I guess they kind of had military title to, but they respected the Indians as the shamanistic or genuine owners of it, but the military knew about this. So they didn't understand this portal. And they brought these two Romanians in because they had experience with such. They met the shamans. The shamans admitted entrance to the inner earth, to these people, to the Romanians, whereby they were able to be told of a meeting they would have in a different location in Patagonia, southern Argentina. And I guess he got a glimpse of the great fabled city of Shambhala. And when they get to Argentina, they meet another shaman. And these portals that they go through in Yosemite and Argentina are not technological portals. They're shamanistic portals. So they might not look so, you know, they might just look kind of mundane. And one of the things about the Yosemite portal, I looked up and the village, the Yosemite reservation looked just like one of the diagrams in the book. You know, so it adds to the corroboration that he was there. And I hope to be visiting that portal later this year. Not, I don't know the portal. I shouldn't say the portal, the Indian reservation. Right. I've been doing my own separate investigation, independent of my Romanian adventures into the gold country of California, in which Yosemite sits. The mother load, which is the name for the huge gold deposits of California, has not even been touched. The gold rush was surface gold and surface mining, but the real core of gold. And of course, you don't go there to get the gold. You go there for the consciousness that the gold facilitates. Right, right. There's a lot of people who talk about monoatomic gold, this like highly, highly concentrated etheric gold in a sense. It gets wrapped up with alchemy, but it also gets wrapped up in uh, the idea of healing springs. And people are like, you know, there's these legends of healing springs. And some people have insinuated or researched the fact that maybe these healing properties come from a bunch of deposits of this monoatomic gold. And it, is, it seems like a real thing, but it's very off the radar and potentially even really quite rare. Well, I've written about this in my book, The Black Sun, about monoatomic gold. And it, the whole tradition of Egypt is based upon this. But that's going to cause us to digress. <laughs> and they do have a special isotope of the monoatomic gold mentioned in the first book, Transylvanian Sunrise. In the chamber, there is that substance that does exist in some vase or something. So definitely aware of it. Now, we're coming upon 44 minutes after the hour. So I just want to tell people if they're interested in the books to go to skybooksusa.com skybooksusa.com and you can find books there you can also find my books on kindle amazon itunes nook etc etc and in bookstores 
Yes, I always uh, cut that stuff in from the very end of the show to the free hour as well. So no worries. Everyone will definitely have all the information they need. I guess, you know, if we are talking about that 15 minutes left in the first hour, I would like to maybe talk a little bit more about substantiating these claims. I mean, what what else can we say to kind of validate this for people who are trying to figure out what to, to make of it? Does Radu ever speak on his own? I mean, does he ever give interviews? Can, can we see him firsthand? Or what can what more can we say to kind of like get these skeptics on board? Because these are some pretty epic things we're talking about. Well, Radu does not do personal interviews. He lives behind a, a cloak of invisibility. You can imagine all the attention he could attract. In the book you just read, or the Inside the Earth, he totally disassociates himself from any websites out there that claim to be him or claim to be in league with him, except for myself. And of course, I do not aggrandize him. I just basically write the books and make reports on it. I don't claim to know this, that, or the other thing, other than my own personal adventures, which I do report on in Romania, which have been relegated to the physical plane. And in the second hour, I'll go into some of my, my own adventures in, you know, because I, I went deep into a cave this summer, you know, a mile deep into a cave in Transylvania. Mm-hmm. And generally in pursuit of some of the mysteries that have been handed to me. But the whole history of mankind is filled with tales of the inner earth. This is not a new subject at all. Right, right. I mean, there's the stories of Admiral Byrd. There's the Richard Shaver stories. Yes. There's Jules Verne. Mm -hmm. Jules Verne wrote the book, The Journey to the Center of the Earth. And Jules Verne, by the way, married or had a girlfriend. He was virtually married. I don't know which it was. To a woman in Transylvania. He lived in Transylvania. He wrote a story called The Castle of the Carpathians, Carpathians being in Transylvania. It's named after a fortress in the town of Deva, which I've been to. He not only wrote about the journey to the center of the earth, uh, dinosaurs in the center of the earth, and I visited a museum in Transylvania. It's a small, humble museum, which shows how dinosaurs actually, the whole story of them and their history originated in that area. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a ton of stuff out there that I really love. The things you mentioned, the Olaf Jansen story, Edadorfa, Beast Men and Gods. But how do we know this story is true? The Radu Cinemar story. Is there any more validation we can get? I mean, there is one thing you mentioned that a key area near the Romanian Sphinx seems to be blacked out on Google Earth. I mean, that's something. That's something. There's more areas that are blacked out in Romania that most people wouldn't know to look for. But what I'm saying is, you know, you don't get proof of this stuff until you actually experience it. But what he does, perhaps the most convincing or corroborative aspect is that all of these other accounts leave too much dangling, too many dangling participles, so to speak. Mm -hmm. What he has done is he has taken the proposition and advanced it you know, 75% to the finish line. He gives you 
the scientific foundation, the scientific thesis of why there isn't inside the earth and why these people who are telling these stories were telling the stories and why they sort of evaporate as well. He gives you a position with which to understand these stories. And of course, he puts forth other stories and whatnot. And what it's enabled me to do is he's put certain ideas in my mind, which now enable me to evaluate other information I've read on this topic or other topics and understand it more clearly so as to correlate it. These experiences, it's all about experience. And you can find people who can talk of their own inner earth experiences. And whether they're off their rocker or not, they might sound like they're off their rocker. You don't have to judge them. But you can judge the way they're communicating. In other words, it fails the buzzer if you're playing a quiz game because it just doesn't add up. Right. Well, he helps you add things up. I don't think any of this is proven until, what is it, that phrase, the blind man is he who will not see or cannot see. So this increases your database with which to evaluate information on this subject. And that's the most important thing, like a skeptic. Now, a very good friend of mine who's very astute in Romania, I was telling him about my adventure to this cave and whatnot. And he said, I don't believe it. You got to show it to me. Well, this attitude is not progressive because if you have an attitude like that, it's like, well, show me, you know, and I'm not going to invest in that stock. You have to show me that stock's going to go up. Well, by the time it goes up, it's too late. Mm-hmm. Okay. You say, yeah, this stock's going to go up from $5 to a hundred. I don't believe you. Show me. All right. Here. Okay. Let's see. It went up. Oh, good. Well, it's too late for him to invest in it. That attitude is not progressive. It doesn't mean you have to believe. And this is a very sore point that many people believe things and they shouldn't believe things. They should look at stuff as information, as data, and then go by their experience Mm -hmm. and see if it applies. I don't want people to believe in the inner earth. It's not healthy to believe in things. It's okay to entertain the idea. And I would also tell people that the whole foundation of the Rosicrucian mystery school, if you go to the tomb of Christian Rosenkreutz, the supposed titular founder of the Rosicrucian order, on his tomb, which you can't find because it's, I think, in an invisible place, but there are replicas of it, it says, Vitriol, V-I-T-R-I-O-L. That stands for a Latin phrase, which I'm not going to repeat in Latin because I don't have it in front of me, but it means visit the interior of the earth, and by rectification thou shalt find the hidden stone. The inner earth, the interior of the earth is a mystery tradition of the mystery schools, 
which was only arcane knowledge, which means for only a select few. And basically, visit the interior of the earth and by rectification, which means correction, constantly correcting your viewpoint, you will find the hidden stone, which is the philosopher's stone, the stone of immortality. Yes, yes. I love that. I mean, it's true. So many secret societies and initiatory orders, the inner earth stuff is very much wrapped up in them. Even some authors like you mentioned Jules Verne, who've written about this stuff and their work has been propelled to the forefront of culture. They apparently have connections to writing guilds and committees that make sure there's accurate information layered within a story presented as fiction. And this has been a lot of fun, man. I mean, very insightful stuff. I definitely love those details that are in the book that talk about the mechanics of getting to the inner worlds. I like the story of Tomasis, which is uh, pretty compelling. I mean, I don't hear about names of inner earth cities very often. So very enjoyable stuff. And before we go, is there any other info to share with people out there? Other projects, social media links, reminders of your uh, website URLs, all that good stuff? Well, you know, the skybooksusa.com Time Travel Education Center, that's where you want to visit on the website. I will be working in the next three years dedicated to getting out at least three books of Douglas Dietrich. Oh. Douglas Dietrich Roswell and the Rising Sun, which tells the whole history of Roswell. It's not the version the UFO community is used to or will like, but how that was all inspired by Japanese balloons. Hmm. But it's an incredible story. It's an incredible story of his story. So I will be doing that in tandem with whatever Radu produces. I've learned that I can now produce two books a year. Huh. Very cool. Very cool. Hard at work. Yes. Well, Awesome, man. I really appreciate what you do. I do hope to get some sort of personal confirmation of these inner worlds sometime in the future. Fingers crossed, you know, not going to hold my breath, but I guess I just got to get it through the grapevine for now. And that's okay. But this has been a lot of fun. Thanks for spending the time with me. I enjoyed it. Thank you very much. You got it. Take care out there. Okay. Hey, 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 Ironside Chatters, happy holidays and all that jazz. Hope it's going well for you and yours. Peter Moon in the Ironside house once again, bringing some really far out and interesting stuff to the table. I do feel like I was a little hard on him with parts of the story, although I knew a lot of it when I heard biometric hand scanner that worked for the person who happened to be carrying out the exploration as if it was destiny. That was a bit much for me, but who knows? Maybe it would have worked for anyone. Maybe it hadn't been calibrated in a while. I guess the story just is what the story is. And at times we had a little disconnect where I probably wasn't being clear and that I know we're not going to get verification or proof of the inner world just by hanging out on the surface. But I guess I was more trying to say... What can we look at? What surrounding evidence to this particular story can we look at to validate it? Can I see Radu somewhere on YouTube in video form? No, he has no appearances. Can I find the Romanian version of the book online? No, they don't have ebooks, and it seems that you have to be in a physical bookstore in Romania to get it. Okay, well, I guess that's fair. 
I want to hear the story. I like the story, but I also want to help make a good case that this is legitimate because I'm open to it. But what do we have to go on? What else can we say to strengthen the case short of actually going to these inner cities? Like I mentioned in the interview, if we don't have the things that I just listed previously, what do we have? Well, Peter says a lot of these sensitive areas in Romania are blocked out on Google Earth. Okay, that's something. Peter also says he's talked to a lot of witnesses that say there was an influx of U.S. personnel at the time Radu says this discovery was made. Okay, now we're talking. That's also helpful. What else? And that's where I wished we could have added a few more logs to the credibility fire, you know? I like Peter, and I find this stuff really provocative. It's why I reached out to him again. I think I mentioned reorganizing and tidying up the old archive to make sure everything is plugged in right and the artwork and titles are all consistent. And I'm going from the beginning, and right now I think I'm up to episode 100 or just a couple past that now. And I thought, wow, this was a really unique one. And I also mentioned one of the guys who helped me set up a few really good shows also brought it up to me. And the book does have a lot of interesting detail about how to get inside the earth at the poles, how the physics of some of this stuff works. And ultimately, Peter is really just a translator, so I guess I can't expect him to recall all that detail. But I tried to bring some of it out on a couple of the big things that I liked most and how it jives with the hollow fractal model. So hopefully you enjoyed that. I think it's nice to get some of the early guests back from THC's history now that, well, number one, I'm better at doing this in general than I was in the past. Also, we now have two hours with every guest. The audio quality is better. And the audience is much bigger, so it's kind of a thank you to them for showing up when I wasn't shit. So I guess, you know, N-bombs aside, I enjoyed the ride. And maybe we should talk about that. I mentioned it to a couple of colleagues who asked if I was going to edit it out, and I said no. That really isn't why I edit the show. I don't edit for content, only to smooth out the conversation and to make it of higher audio quality. And maybe this is a shocker to some people, but I'm really not one to get offended by words. I care more about intent, and this was a quote, so I guess it is what it is. I'm not going to clutch my chest and say, oh my. And as always, my guests are adults, and they get plenty of room to present their material as they see fit, and I'm not the speech police. You hear that, YouTube? Merry Christmas. But I do still have mixed feelings about my level of skepticism here. It's not really how I do interviews, and it kind of got in the way of the storytelling, I think. It's just that it's also a little hypocritical of me to be so hard on a guy like David Wilcock or Corey Good and having this wild story about the inner earth without much to go on, and then give this story a complete pass. So I tried to walk that line. Obviously, an exploration of something is not always an endorsement. I just brought Peter here to present some interesting material, and you can decide how you feel about it. But if you were intrigued, check out the book series, because I found a lot in there that I liked. I really wanted to push through the deconstructing of the official paradigm and into the meat, because time can really fly sometimes. Two hours is not as long as it seems when you're trying to relay a deep story. 
So we fit as much into the first hour as we could, and I do appreciate Peter's thoughtfulness around the formatting of the show. He really considered it and proposed a segmentation of material, and I thought it worked. I just sort of run through these interviews without stopping or addressing where we are in it usually, but I should say that I appreciated his concern over our format. But in that second hour, we talked about Apelos, the Crystal City, another place that was visited in this journey. We talked about the work of David Anderson, time travel technology in ancient caves, a bizarre antenna that emerged in Antarctica, and one of my favorite parts, the question of if Admiral Byrd's mind had been messed with. I really liked that Admiral Byrd anecdote. We definitely don't need to hear the core story of Admiral Byrd anymore, but I do like the surrounding context and side threads that I had never heard before. But that's it. That's the show. I hope you enjoyed it. Big thanks to Peter, and do check out Skybooks USA for more of what Peter does best. I changed up the release order a little bit, but the next one I think is going to be loved by all, as it is a returning guest that has only been here once and really brings the heat. It's also a subject matter that has spawned out of the joint sessions. Had it not been for them, I might have never given this material a second look. But speaking of that, the next joint session is tonight, December 26th, 7 p.m. Pacific. Be there or be somewhere else. And I'll talk to you soon with the last show of the year. Thanks to everyone for listening. You are all great. I could not ask for a better job. And I've done my part. Your move, Romanian Hall of Records researchers, inner earth explorers, and people of Tomasis. Your fucking Oh no, you see, the world isn't random, it's attached to puppet strings, control over everything, the nine to five is trying to steal ya, now don't that job seem silly, hello, can you hear me? Should I play back recordings from some spying agency? Wish we were younger and free. I'll be thankful when it's all exposed. The vast conspiracy, there's such a difference between us and the dead.
Can't find. 